0: Hey guys, it's Jenna and Kelly, welcome to Her Book of Job, the podcast.
1: Welcome back to Her Book of Job. If you're still here, congrats, you made it to the last episode of season one. Today's episode is called Waiting to Inhale. We're gonna be talking about BLM. We're gonna be talking about social justice issues. So stick around.
0: They send me to eat in the kitchen when company comes, but I laugh and eat well and grow strong. Tomorrow, I'll be at the table when company comes. Nobody will dare say to me, eat in the kitchen then. Besides, they will see how beautiful I am and be ashamed. I too am America. Langston Hughes.
1: Hmm. Wow. You know, that quote, especially the end of it, reminds me of, um, you know, I'm a basketball fan. And so Doc Rivers, he's one of the coaches in the NBA. and. Of course, it was just yet another incident that occurred. And he was giving an interview. I can't can't even remember at this point what had happened. And he was just saying, like, you know, we love this country, but it doesn't love us back. And he was just kind of like on the brink of tears saying that. And it it reminds me of, of what Langston said in that quote you just read. It's like, You know, hoping that one day they'll feel shame because they'll see how beautiful we really are. That just seems so far away, though. It does, especially with,
0: you know, all the injustice that has taken place, the murder that's taken place on the streets. I agree with you. It is a long ways away.
1: Yeah, it's hard not to get depressed talking about this, you know. And um I didn't understand, I remember seeing this quote floating around on on social media basically saying how like our joy is is like actual resistance. Like being happy black people is in itself a, por- a form of like of protest, of of fighting back, of actually it's actually revolutionary to be happy. <laughs> As a black person, that's wild, but I get it now because there's so much to be angry about. There's so much to be depressed and sad about. So the fact that we can still find joy is, is just that in in and of itself is amazing living in this context.
0: Definitely.
1: So I want to talk a little bit about Jen, your experiences with just these last two years And the spark of protest that has occurred. I kind of want to get your take about all the things that have occurred, especially starting with the murder of George Floyd. That seemed to really spark things in a way that we hadn't seen in a very long time. And, you know, being in Canada while this was happening. Well, actually, were you in London or in Canada at the time, Jen? I was actually in
0: Canada. Yeah. So this was the summer of um, 2020. Yeah, I was in Canada.
1: Right. So I'd love to just get your perspective on that. And I'll share a little bit more after as well. Um, Just my reactions and, and where we are now. So yeah. I remember when it, when it happened,
0: I only heard about it. I never saw the video until this day. I haven't seen the video. The description for me was all I needed to know, I, I couldn't stomach watching it. And I know uh, social media was heavily saturated with you know this coverage, the coverage of this this murder. And I I I actually appreciate that you said um, you didn't say the death of George George Floyd. You said the murder of George Floyd because that's exactly what it was. And even though I'm not American and I live in Canada, I remember I remember I cried so much. It was like day in, day out, at a point in the day, I was literally crying like I knew this man. And in a way, I felt like I knew him because that could have been my brother, that could have been my uncle, that could have been my friend. And it's, it's just this, it doesn't matter where you're from, once you're black, I feel like, you know, we're all like brothers and sisters, we're all connected in a way. And so the pain that I felt from from that, like thinking of like I don't know his parents or his his kids or whoever was close to him, and just having to to, to see this across social media uh, was just very very hard for me. But interestingly enough, I found it so incredible how how this murder lit the entire world on fire. The whole world erupted and brought everyone together. Like there's so many different places where protests were happening. And I couldn't believe like places that I I hadn't even thought about in a long time, or I didn't even think would protest or band together. It definitely brought everyone, everyone together.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, incredibly historic and moving to see that because then you know people the slogan is Black Lives Matter right but to see people who weren't Black in countries that were not America protest man that moved me to tears Mm -hmm. because it made me feel like oh my gosh we matter to them (laughs) yeah you know that they saw that this was so wrong that they were moved to do something about it and for me you know, I've obviously been living in this country for a very long time. I wasn't born here, but I, I I, grew up here. So I consider myself American for sure. And growing up and being aware of racism and seeing all these different incidents over the years, this was the first time, Jen, that I made a sign and I got actually out there and protested. Mm. So it, it's like... And I'm I'm sure that that's not, that's not unique to me because like, like you said, this was like a global movement and we've seen the images, we've seen the footage of just thousands of people in cities all across America and the world. Like, (laughs) it was so crazy. Mm -hmm. And that was my first experience. I went to two separate protests. Um down here in South Florida. And it was my first experience with a protest. I didn't know what to expect. Um, but I just felt so overwhelmed with emotion that it had to come out somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if that's what it was for others who took to the streets, but it's like, you, you felt like you were about to explode and you just had to do something to let it out. And that's what it felt like for me getting out there and chanting and having my sign. I needed to get all these emotions that I was feeling out because unlike you, Jen, I did see the video. Mm. It's just overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And not just that video, but all the different videos that we've seen over the years to watch life taken. That's something else. As, as black people and as people in general who witnessed these violent things, we had to do something with all that trauma. And I think that's what we saw with all the the protests and all the things that were happening that summer and even into this year. People just needed to let all of that stuff out because we were bursting at the seams. I know I was.
0: Yeah, it was definitely the straw that broke the camel's back. I think it, it, it really hit the last, it was the last straw, it felt like.
1: Yeah. Anyway, it just, it was really difficult to, to see it, to deal with it, and we're still dealing with it now. But what I appreciated about that moment is that people took those emotions and started doing things about it. And that is powerful when we don't just talk about it, but when we mobilize, when we engage in activism, like that stuff really works. It really does.
0: I was thinking back to when I said, you know hearing about George Floyd and how I felt like you know how you know as black people we tend to feel like that's my brother that's my sister type thing I feel like when the world got involved it's it started to feel like just everyone was united in that brotherly sisterly way it, it didn't matter where you came from what your race was it it definitely brought it you know to like a level where, It just, you could look at someone else and just like have love and appreciation for them. And it was just amazing how people who aren't Black, how they just stepped up. I don't think I had ever seen it in that way before, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I know. I know a lot of Black folks (laughs) feel very different ways about that, that you just brought up. I, my initial thing is I appreciate it because if you look at history, Black people have never been able to just do it alone. We have to have, we we need them to actually see what we're saying. It's not enough for us to kind of like hold, you know, like speak truth to power. Power actually has to change. You, you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah. So, you know, the, the ally thing, I don't know how I feel about that word, but um, it's true, like, you you know, we do need people who are in positions of power, and we do need people who are other races, especially white, to understand racism in order to truly, truly stamp it out. Like, it's not enough for us to agree that it's wrong, but until enough of them see it and do something about it, too, we're going to be having this conversation for a very, 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 very long time. <laughs> yeah. But... um. I think that just to kind of go to, a, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do want to bring it up. I remember that a huge thing that was going on, like on social media and online at the time is, yeah, a lot of white people wanted to be allies, but they also wanted us to do the work for them. (laughs) So black people are like, listen, I'm already traumatized by all this that's going on. I do not have time to be like your racism mentor. Like, if you want to <laughs> figure it out, like, just go look it up. <laughs> like, Black no, people were sad. just done. We were it's tired. tired. I, I, I tend to be a little softer. Like, no, you know, like, try to explain. But I understood the frustration. It's like, listen, it's 2020. It's 2021. We've been telling you this for so long. The fact that you're surprised right now is actually annoying me. So, like, just go figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so I I understood why people were getting, you know, frustrated with this whole ally thing because it's like, okay, if you're serious about this, then then go look it up, go read, listen to what people have been telling you for years, but don't try to make me sit here and rehash all this trauma and try to explain stuff to you that black people feel like you should already know anyway.
0: Honestly, but you know, for the people who weren't even just trying to be allies, I, I don't know if you saw this on social media, Kelly, but at the height of this situation, I saw people um, using protest grounds as photo opportunities. Yeah, for sure. like Full on photo shoots. And I'm like, a man just died in the street and you're using this time, this time right now to have a photo op in the streets where people are literally protesting you know protesting for this cause like I just didn't I feel like in certain instances there's like that disconnect there it's like why why would you feel like that's appropriate to do
1: well that's the danger when anything becomes popular or mainstream right One of the things that was the most surprising to me when I went to my first protest is that it was clear to me that everyone who was there had different motives for being there. It was so obvious. Like once I got there, I was like, okay, there's a group of people here that are here just to spectate. There's a group of people here who are so passionate about this cause and they're here to bring awareness to the fact that George Floyd was murdered and that his murderer should be brought to justice regardless of whether he wears a badge or not. And there's a group of people here who are here to stir up trouble. And then there's law enforcement. So, you know, like I was so shocked by how divided the crowd was. And I'm like, wow, it's like it's one thing to to watch the news coverage online. But when you're out there on the street, it becomes abundantly clear that not everybody is there for pure intentions. And that's what makes it very difficult when it comes to news coverage, because it's easy to try to lump everybody together. Sometimes you'll you'll hear coverage and people just say, oh, they're looters, they're rioters. But the fact of the matter is when I got out there, everybody was out there. You know, you got Mm -hmm. troublemakers out there. You got people who are there to get social media hits. You know, you got people who are their own amateur journalists who are trying to get a story for their page. You've got the law enforcement out there. I mean, and so that to me was the most surprising thing, because when you watch stuff online, you would think, okay, there's this big group. You watch stuff on TV and you think there's this big group and everybody's out there, Kumbaya and Harmony. But that was not my experience at all. And I found that to be really surprising.
0: I have a question for you, Kelly. In in light of everything that you said, do you I've heard this term from you know black people or a black person. I'm not even gonna bother saying her name, but she referred to George Floyd as a martyr. And was questioning why black people are putting this man as a as a martyr when you know he 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 didn't lead a model citizen life. What do you think about that do you do you, Did you view uh George Floyd as a martyr?
1: um so I know the the beautiful young lady that you're referring to <laughs> <laughs> We all know right? I think <laughs> Here's, here's, here's my response to something like that. Um, I don't think we'll get to the point of justice in this country until people realize that human life has dignity and value. Regardless of what that person looks like or what that person did, they have value and worth. Because the argument this person that you're referring to is making is that because someone has a criminal background or criminal record or has made mistakes or whatever it is, means somehow that their life doesn't matter. So why should we care that they were killed in an unfair, unjust way? The same thing came up in the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, case that just happened this year. This guy got off and um, I don't know if you're aware, but the judge refused to allow the victims of the crime to be called victims.
0: Mm. And
1: in fact, and I thought this was interesting because, you know, these were three white men that were killed. And I think one of them had some sort of like criminal background or maybe more than one. I can't remember. And the, again, the argument there is why are we so upset anyway? This guy was, um, he was a, a registered sex offender and i'm like and i'm thinking to myself first of all nobody knew that when he died mm-hmm. and second of all does that somehow mean that he should be gunned down in the streets see this That's is this is this is where this is where i'm going with this it's like we have to be really careful about how we talk about the value and worth of human life and i mean i'm not trying to say anything about the crimes these people committed. But I am trying to say that committing a crime does not mean somebody gets to shoot you in the street or put their knee on you in the street. And so to and so, just to kind of bring it back a little bit, when we're talking specifically about black people, I would love to get to a place in this country where you don't have to be a perfect model citizen and live a perfect life for people to say, that your unjust killing was wrong. I'd love to get to the place where people don't have to, you know, do like a background check on you before they can feel sympathy for your death.
0: Honestly, like, what is that about? I just, I don't understand that line of thinking because honestly, Kelly, it's like on a basic level, it's human life. That's what it comes down to on a basic level. It's human life. Right. When um, I even forgot the man's name. But when he had his his knee on George Floyd, th- there was no trial there. There was no, you know what I mean. There exactly. was no opportunity for him. He wasn't brought into to to the police right uh, office. So you know, like he he was. You you took up upon yourself. Um, to what is it to to bring justice to, to something. I just, I don't know what has to go on in a person's mind to take someone's life like that. Like, where does that, you know, it's a hard question to answer, but it's, my mind goes to like, where where do you, how come you get to that point where you, you feel as though you have the power or you you have the say in who lives or dies? I think that is very hard for me to wrap my head around.
1: In order for you to commit that level of violence against another person, you have to first dehumanize that person. They can't be a human being anymore, which is why the rallying cry of Black Lives Matter is so important, because it's trying to assert the basic, the most basic fact. Is that I am a human being and I matter. <laughs> because I am human, I have dignity and worth. This is really what BLM means. It's the same rallying cry from the 60s with those I am a man sign. Have you seen those? I haven't. You should look it up, Jen. Like in in, in the civil rights era, one of the um popular protest um um mottos was I am a man. That's it. That's all that was on a sign. And Black people, Black, especially Black men, would walk around with this sign saying, I am a man. Mm-hmm. That's BLM. That's the exact same concept. I have to tell you that I am a human being because somehow, some way in your mind, you're not treating me like one. <laughs> I have to remind you of my humanity. And, and that's only part of it because I also think that the person or people who commit these acts. Themselves have dehumanized, like they don't see it, but there's some some part of their humanity has been degraded too in order for you to do that to another human being. I believe you yourself have lost something in your humanity to be able to do that, so it's those two things combined that really allow someone to be able to to just take life like that without without any remorse. it seems too,
0: yeah none at all. Like sometimes it seems like the person who, or the people who do things like this, they actually don't see anything wrong with it. And I think that's definitely, um, one of the scary points for me. And I, I definitely think that's why I couldn't watch the video because I just, it was hard to wrap my head around, you know, him being able to do that. Yeah. Um, I just, I couldn't understand how he can just kneel on George Floyd's neck until he died I that's yeah you know next level to me we entitled our episode waiting to inhale and I definitely think we're at a point where we all can't breathe we are all tired of the injustices that take place and I just want to know Kelly like when do you have a point in your life where you felt as though you were waiting to inhale or you you felt like you were you were experiencing something that you wouldn't have if you were not black have you ever gotten to that point personally in whether it be like at school or like in other social settings
1: yeah I, it's like you read my mind i was literally about to go there as well talk to talk a little bit about the title of the episode why we called it waiting to inhale um, and before I talk about, like, things that personally happened to me, um, we we're talking about rallying cries at protests, and I can't breathe is one of them, right? And I, I think that's why we chose to call this Waiting to Inhale, because this this episode is really about just what is the Black experience in North America, in, in the States and Canada? What does it feel like to be Black here and it feels like waiting to inhale. It feels like our like we're holding our breath, like we literally can't breathe. What do we mean by that? You know, that became a protest rallying cry after Eric Garner. Those were his last words. I don't know if you remember that, Jen, because you were in Canada at the time. And that just became a huge thing because much like George Floyd, it wasn't a knee on his neck, but he was in a chokehold an mm-hmm. illegal chokehold and those were his last words you know mm-hmm. just begging yeah, for nice. life begging mm-hmm. to breathe to do the most essential thing to being alive and to being a human <laughs> and that's why that phrase is so powerful is because it summarizes what the black experience is here this i this feeling like you can't breathe you can't live you can't jog you can't sleep. You definitely can't drive. You just can't live. You can't go bird watching. Is this constant um assault on your right to be human and on your right to be alive? And that's why we called it waiting to inhale is because that's that's really some sometimes that's what it feels like most of the time. That's what it feels like to be black. Is feeling like you you you're constantly trying to protect your right to live, your right to exist, and and to kind of connect it to me. Thank God I've never really been subject to racial violence, mm-hmm. but this idea of um, being a black face in a white space and, and what that feels like and looks like, I'm familiar with that. So I've had white people ask me, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. you know, or being surprised that I am in a certain place. Uh, I think one of the first times that really came and and happened to me was freshman year in college. Um, I went to this predominantly white school. It's a liberal arts school in the boonies in Ohio. Not a lot of Black people there, but I mean enough. And so I remember um, going to church at that, um, like a a church nearby at that school. And it was like one of my first Sabbaths there. And I remember um, one of the persons at church said, so, um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, that kind of thing. So I told them that I'm a freshman at Kenyon College down the street. And there was this shock, (laughs) like you go go there? Yes, yes I do. Yes, I I am going to one of the top liberal arts colleges in the country. Yes. (laughs) Like, what? Like, why are you shocked? Mm -hmm. You know, and so it's just, again, this idea that sometimes when you're black, you have to almost explain yourself, like explain your existence, explain why you're here. Um, I have an even worse story than that. Um, And this one is at Berman. Oh no <laughs> yep mhm <Thank> <laughs> our, our, our lovely you know seven day adventist institution, oh boy, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, <laughs> again, being a black face in white spaces uh people people are sometimes shocked, so one of the things that I was doing while I was there, I was taking um I was taking outward pursuits classes, like these were classes like. Rock climbing and canoeing and adventure based youth counseling, stuff like that. You know, Mm -hmm. camping, winter camping, all this kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Again, like I said, when God is leading you, you find yourself in weird places. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to lie, there's not a lot of black kids in those programs. Nevertheless, I'm taking a class, and I think for one of those classes, we had a trip. I can't remember if it was a canoeing trip or a rock climbing trip. So it's really simple. If you're all, cl- if, if, if we're all taking a class together and there's a field trip in this class, everybody goes, right? Mm-hmm. It's pretty simple. Well, I show up to the, I mean, it's the day of the field trip. I show up and one of my classmates goes, Oh wait, you're, you're coming to this. What? And, I was just so annoyed. I felt felt so like, why would you assume that I'm not going? I'm in your class. You see me every week. Oh, boy. Why would you assume the Black girl is not going camping with you? Like, I don't, I, and I didn't want to go to race, but that, that's like the only thing I could possibly think, like, why would you ask me that question? You understand Mm -hmm. what I mean?
0: Yeah, for sure. I doubt they were asking other other classmates that.
1: Exactly. Why are you asking me if I'm going on this trip? Mm-hmm. It's like, again, to me, that, that idea there was, I don't expect to see you in this space. Mm. So therefore, you should explain why you're here. And Sometimes black people, I mean, white people, they might think we're being overly sensitive. They might think, oh, you're putting too much into it. You're playing the race card. But what people don't understand is that's the kind of thinking that's a domino piece to violence. Mm
0: -hmm. When
1: I have to explain my very existence to you, then you're seeing me as somebody who doesn't belong. You're seeing me as another. You're seeing me as a stranger, as different. And those are the first building blocks and steps towards committing violent acts towards people. You have to first, you know, see them as foreign and see see them as not belonging to a place that, I mean, do you own the outdoors? Like, I don't understand. You feel me? So yeah, so that's why we, you know, we're talking about waiting to inhale. It's like waiting mm. to feel like I can go anywhere and belong. Girl, you ever been like invisible?
0: I remember um, one time, or no, this happened to me several times. I should rather in class as well, but I, I'll talk about one specific time. I um, so my program we have small groups and we, we do research and then we feedback our research and, you know, we talk about what we found and our, our, uh, our teachers basically there to facilitate the conversation and let us know if we're on the right track. So one day in class, I was just, I was feeding back the information that I had found and nothing was said. We just kind of moved on the next person you know put their hand up to to say their piece would you believe they said exactly what i said and said and then the the teacher comes in and says that was a great point so and so i i I never heard it like that like you the way you said and i'm like but i literally just said that. <laughs> I literally said that. This isn't your first time hearing it.
1: I thought stuff like this only happened on TV. Please don't tell me that this literally happened to you. I thought this was just a sitcom thing, girl.
0: Nah, girl. That, that's real life. That's real life. And it happened to me several times after that. And like, I, that's when I felt like, oh my goodness, in academic spaces, in work spaces, it's either... You're invisible or you're an eyesore. Wow. There's no in between. You can't just be, you know, a a normal contributor. You can't just be intelligent. Your points can't be simply valid on their own. It's almost like you're you're in that case, I was not listened to. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The the teacher didn't take the time to actually listen to what I was saying. Had they listened, they would know that my, my, uh, my colleague just repeated what I had said. So why is it brilliant coming out of their mouth, but nothing, nothing is said about what I had done. And I remember it, it just kept happening. And I just felt so down because I'm like, why am I here? (laughs) Why am I in this course? Like, why am I, why am I doing this? If they literally cannot hear me.
1: listen, I just want to say to anyone in our audience, anyone who is a listener who is not Black and wants to be an ally or wants to you know, support or whatever it is, one of the main and most important things that you could do is literally what Jen was just talking about, is just listening to our stories and taking our word for it. Don't try to argue or explain away the experiences that we're telling you that we've had. Don't try to be like, well, you know, that's not what that girl meant when she asked you what you're doing here on the class trip. Don't try to do that. And don't try to say, well, you know, I'm sure you're overreacting and I'm sure that's not how it went. No.
0: Listen, Kelly, to that point that you were just saying- I've been told when I've been talking about black issue, uh, black issues, I've been told by a white person that there are bigger issues in this world like hunger.
1: <laughs> I just don't even understand what that that is supposed to mean. <laughs> so so if you're saying there are bigger issues, are you in fact agreeing that what I'm saying is an issue? See that to me right there is already a problem because number 1 you're agreeing that it's an issue but you're saying that it's not an important one. That to me is even more problematic. I'd rather you not see it. I'd rather I'd rather spend my energy trying to convince you there's a problem. But for you to agree that there is an issue but that it does not demand your attention, that it that it's not something that needs to be resolved or that it's not something that that needs, you know, it's just not as important as hunger or whatever it is you want to say. To me, that's just like, that's the epitome of erasing me. It's like what you're trying to say. It's like, it's literally making me invisible. This is not how you do it, folks. (laughs) Please just listen and accept that, yes, our experiences are indeed that sucky. That we do live in a world where you can go about your life and never experience these things and somebody the same age as you or the same gender as you can be in the same office and this is their experience. Just because you're going to this school or you live in this neighborhood or you work at this business and these are not your experiences does not mean that they don't happen to us. Yeah. So I'm like, that's, that's step number one, man. If you're serious about being an ally, just shut up and listen. I can't say it any other way. (laughs) (laughs) You know, don't try to argue with me. You can't, you can't tell me what it's like to be black. You can only listen. You You can not
0: say that it doesn't feel as bad as another issue. You can't minimize it.
1: Yeah, for
0: sure.
1: (sighs) Well. I mean, the fact of the matter is, in 2021, we are still waiting to inhale. But in the meantime, kind of relating to our last episode about waiting seasons, (laughs) you know, I don't know when we'll ever have equal justice and, and racial harmony in this country. But while we're waiting to inhale, man, God has given us the ability to still experience joy and to still have peace. And I love this um, quote that's in the book of Job. um, When he talks about, he says um, in Job 7, verse 11, therefore I will not keep silent. I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. I love, I mean, I feel like the book of Job is so emotionally intelligent. It's like here they're saying, I'm not gonna hide it. I'm not gonna suppress it. I'm not going to keep silent about the things that make me bitter and about the anguish of my spirit, but I'm going to speak out. And hey, that's what we got to continue to do. And hopefully people are listening more and more, but we are going to continue to keep speaking out. We're not going to keep silent. We're going to share our experiences and hopefully one day before Jesus comes back, (laughs) Will finally be able to inhale, you know, because I, I want to. <laughs> I know that things won't be perfect, obviously, you know, that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day, but I don't believe that that should be an excuse for why we don't work towards um justice and and you know equality for all people.
0: So, yeah, definitely. I think the key that you had there is before Jesus comes back, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Please <laughs> let's work on this. Let's you know, be on fire like the world was when George Floyd died and coming, you know that th- those moments of coming together, if we could do that in real life, not just on the streets but in offices, in schools, you know, in different um social settings, if we could come together like that, if we could band together like that, I think that you know we'll be well on our way to to having visibility, yeah, I think, you know, to being heard and understood, but yeah.
1: I mean, use our podcast as a model here. We try to have real open, honest and difficult conversations. And I think that's really, um, a huge step in, in having more justice, more equality, um, is having open, honest conversations with each other especially about difficult things. So, you know, it may not be something you want to hear, but the truth of my experience is still truth. Um, And so, yeah, we're just going to continue to speak our truth and hopefully we can have more open, honest conversations with each other that push this issue forward.
0: I agree. And as always, guys, comment down below in the comment section here on YouTube. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, what are some moments that you were waiting to inhale? And how, how do you push through those tough moments in your life? We'd like to know. Um, share with us and we'll chat with you guys in the comments.
1: All right, well, that's a wrap on season one. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We would love to connect more with you on IG and across all of our social uh, platforms. We want more feedback. Let us know how Her Book of Job, the podcast is touching you and affecting you. And we'd love to hear any suggestions you have about topics for season two. But until then, stay connected with us on all of our social networks and we'll see you next time.